presented by the American Petroleum Institute. Hey there, Playbook listeners. It's Raghu Manovalan. Two big things we're watching on Tuesday, January 17th. Indiana Republican Representative Jim Banks launched his bid to replace retiring GOP Senator Mike Braun today. The former chair of the Republican Study Committee is widely seen as the favorite in the race, which has already attracted interest from fellow Indiana Representative Victoria Sparks. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told Congress the U.S. is set to reach its debt ceiling on Thursday and that extraordinary measures would be taken to avoid default. Absent congressional action, those measures would run out, she said, sometime not earlier than June. For more on that, here's Playbook Editor Mike DeBonis and Deputy Editor Zach Stanton. Even though June is uh, only a couple months down the road here, uh, there is a real risk of this having long-term damage to the U.S. economy and, uh, and potentially to U.S. bond ratings before June. So we'll have to see how that plays out. There's the economic impact, the economic toll, um, but there's also the whole political standoff here, which is, you know, something like, uh, you know, what you see in like old Westerns, the so-called Mexican standoff situation where a bunch of people have guns pointed at one another and it's really a test of who's going to blink first. Uh, you have in the House, you have Kevin McCarthy saying that he's not going to budge, that he doesn't really want to uh, raise the debt ceiling. You have potentially moderates in the House, moderate Republicans, who might be willing in some cases to go along with uh, a reasonable uh, debt ceiling increase that Democrats would agree to. Uh, you have the House Freedom Caucus that is obviously not on board with with raising the debt ceiling and would threaten the McCarthy speakership uh, if he were to allow such a thing to go on. You have Senate Republicans who uh, say that any debt ceiling increase would need uh, to be accompanied by long-term structural spending changes. And you have President Biden, uh, who is saying that he's not going to negotiate with Republicans on this, uh, that it's something that needs to happen, that debt ceiling needs to be raised, and it needs to be done in a bipartisan manner. So uh, it's anyone's guess at this point how this uh, how this plays out. What's your read of it right now, Mike? So, so to me, the most interesting thing is the utter blasé attitude that Wall Street seems to be taking toward all of this at this point. Um, if you look at what all of the big bank analysts that are paid lots of money to like sort of interpret what is going on in Washington. All of them think this is much ado about nothing and it's going to get fixed, which on one hand, I, I get it. You know, we lived through 2011, 2013 and several times since then where there was a lot of, you know, apologies to William Faulkner, sound and fury. Ultimately, it got solved. So I get it. But to me, I'm looking around and there are some distinguishing features this time. And one of them is just the utter insanity of the governance situation in the House uh, in the House GOP right now. You know, we just went through a week long fight over electing a speaker, something that really has not happened in a century, literally had not happened in a century. And you have a speaker who is to use the metaphor you uh, so expertly rolled out there, Zach, who has a, a political gun to his head uh, in the form of 20 or so uh, committed conservatives who simply do not want any deal on the debt limit that does not include like truly massive spending cuts. And there's a Democratic president, there's a Democratic Senate, and there's 
a, a good number of moderate Republicans who don't want to be party to anything like that. And I just seeing where push is going to come to shove is, is kind of hard to see at this point. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm a little bit more worried than Wall Street right now, I will have to say. <laughs> I don't know about you. No, I, I'm right there in the same boat with you, but uh, I suppose it wouldn't be the first time in my life that I've been on a different page than Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to be honest, you know, I'm a, you know, I do everything I'm told and heck have all I like in index funds and I don't touch my investments and all that stuff. But geez, Louise, I really do not want to see the markets drop by 20, 30 percent because uh, of some really bad um, brinksmanship here. And if to the extent there's good news, I, I think I, I, I sort of felt it over the weekend. You know, the Washington Post had a story Friday night talking about how there's this push in the House GP to do debt prioritization. And uh, we wrote about this in Playbook on Saturday. Rachel Bade wrote uh, about this. And it really was sort of a deja vu moment because this is sort of where the debate has gone in the past. And, you know, we have talked about, oh, you know, there are Republicans who say, oh, a default wouldn't be so bad. We can just pay the bondholders and just not pay the things we don't like. And we've gone through this before. And I just had this sense of like, well, this is kind of good. We're, we're like speed running this debate. We're like going through it in record time and realizing the infirmities of each side's position. And, you know, maybe we're moving closer to a to a, a you know an agreement or or some sort of you know modus vivendi or whatever you want to call it and on the other hand i'm like knowing some of the players here that that doesn't really give me a lot of assurance <laughs> but speak for yourself so <laughs> So uh, this morning, Playbook is reporting about a new entrant into the Indiana uh, open seat. Uh, I'll let you speak to this as the resident Hoosier here, but uh, Congressman Jim Banks, a uh, rising star in the House GOP, uh, is throwing in uh, for U.S. Senate. Uh, and he is going to face in the primary, at the very least, uh, his fellow House Republican, uh, Victoria Sparts. Uh, yes, thank you, uh, Zach, uh, for acknowledging my uh, native Hoosierdom. <laughs> so, uh, so first off, you know, this really isn't interesting in the like R versus D sort of balance of power because you know Indiana is a pretty red state right now. Obama won in two thousand eight. It's been very solidly Republican ever since. J Joe Donnelly lost pretty handily. Uh, when he ran uh, recently as the most recent Democratic senator. You know, the real action here is going to be in this Republican primary. Jim Banks is obviously uh, somebody who's made a name for himself in the House as a relatively junior member. It's kind of interesting that he is ch choosing to, you know, sort of look to the Senate rather than sort of build his, continue to build his reputation and uh, move up the leadership ranks in the House. Um, he did try to run for whip and lost to Tom Emmer very narrowly, actually, actually surprisingly narrowly. But he's looking to uh, make a move up here. Um, and it's going to be interesting. And it's going to be interesting, especially considering who else is going to get in this race. You've got at least one other uh, Indiana House Republican, Victoria Sparts from the Indianapolis suburbs, uh, who's looking to get in. She's conservative, as as is Banks. Uh, Banks has really sort of thrown himself into this sort of like conservative nationalist trying to like build a sort of intellectual base behind the sort of MAGA philosophy. 
And, you know, he's had some success with it as chair of the Republican Study Committee in the House. And he's, you know, he's built some good relationships. Uh, well, I would also note I would also note that one of those relationships uh, comes from uh, a member of his staff who, who just happens to be yes. Tucker Carlson's son, um, <laughs> which is an yeah. invaluable connection to have uh, in the uh, sort of Fox News primary, as it were. That's right. And, it, you know, yes, uh, Jim Banks has employed Tucker Carlson's son as his communications director. And he's he's on all he's on Fox very frequently. And uh, he he I, it should be noted, though, that he's not throwing himself in with the sort of like craziest of the crazies. He's not he was certainly not among the 20 giving uh, Kevin McCarthy a hard time. In fact, he was he's been a very uh, stalwart McCarthy backer. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what lane he occupies. Victoria Sparts, notably, like for a minute, seemed to be going soft on McCarthy. She cast some present votes during the uh, the speaker elections, which got some uh, eyebrows raised there. And there's a couple other names that that could uh, be uh, playing to this uh, Indiana Senate primary. You know, Mitch Daniels is is you know at least letting the rumor mill fly. You know, he recently resigned as uh, president of Purdue University after serving two terms as governor and uh, serving in the George W. Bush White House as budget director. Um, he's got a great reputation among sort of mainstream classic conservative Republicans, but uh, it, it's fair to say it's sort of out of step with the the new Trump GOP. Another person to keep an eye on is the state attorney general, Todd Rakita, who's uh, ex- probably, probably best positioned to sort of outflank any of the uh, other candidates from the right. I covered his last Senate race in 2018 when he ran against uh, Luke Messer, a fellow U.S. representative, and Mike Braun, the sort of outsider Trumpy businessman type, and watched him sort of like get tarred as this like sort of Washington insider, him and Messer by Braun, the outsider. And I think he's been very careful not to let that happen again. And I, I'm not, I would not be surprised to see him jump in this race and really uh, try to seize that mantle of being the most conservative person in the race. And uh, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Yeah, and certainly you saw him, you know, last year when there was, uh, as some people may recall, the controversy when I believe it was a 10 or 11 year old girl from Ohio who, uh, due to the Dobbs ruling, had to cross state lines into Indiana to seek an abortion after after she uh, was raped. The attorney general of, of Indiana threatened the Indiana-based doctor who provided the abortion, alleging that, uh, you know, she had a duty to uh, inform uh, state officials uh, in law enforcement uh, about this rape, uh, which she did. But he he was suggesting he was going to investigate her and, and really came down quite hard on her, which I mentioned just as a sign of, you know, he is not going to be outflanked on the right. Uh, you know, he is he is yeah. perfectly willing to play uh, the culture war cards uh, as he sees fit. And in Indiana, where uh, there is a very strong tradition of conservative Christian uh, voters, uh, one can see that certainly paying dividends. Yeah. And, and th- actually, there's an even more recent example of this that caught my eye last week, which is um, the outgoing Republican governor, or soon to be outgoing Republican governor, uh, Eric Holcomb. Basically, you know, he talked in his state of the state address about investing in education, trying to get more money to K to 12 schools, just a classic sort of governor 
you know, platform point, you know, invest in education. You know, Republicans and Democrats, you know, generally believe that there is a place for for state government anyway to to make sure that kids have a decent education. Todd Rakita was was one of the few Republicans who responded to that and say, no, 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 no more money for education in the state of Indiana. They have plenty of they have plenty of money already. And what we really need to worry about is the woke indoctrination of our children. Um, and he got went very um, sort of DeSantis on on this. Um, actually, even, you know, DeSantis has actually spent more money on education while doing all of the anti-woke stuff. So I, I just noticed that. And it just just it struck me as this is a guy who is who is really tacking to the right of any possible challenger on anything. Um, and, and to me, it's it's especially noteworthy just given Indiana and its sort of history of electing, particularly to the Senate, the likes of Dick Luger and Dan mm-hmm. Coates mm-hmm. and now Todd Young, who are conservative, but not firebrands, who are known as being people willing to have conversations across the aisle. You know, they've had success in Washington doing that. And, you know, Indiana has tended to reward people like that. You know, Todd Young won re-election pretty easily. And um, I could see Jim Banks sort of being more conservative than that, but also being an interesting sort of, you know, potentially, yeah, I'm going to say aisle crossing, but somebody who would be uh, involved in some of these debates, whereas, uh, you know, Victoria Sparts or Todd Rikita would be much more like a, um, you know, maybe a Mike Lee or a Ron Johnson or, you know, somebody who's much more um, on the fringe of the caucus. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House at 1115 a.m. Eastern. President Joe Biden will hold a bilateral meeting with the Netherlands Prime Minister Mark Rutte. At 2.45, Biden will welcome the Golden State Warriors to the White House to celebrate their 2022 NBA championship. Biden and Harris will deliver remarks with second gentleman Doug Emhoff also in attendance. The House and the Senate are out this week. All right, for more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Raghu Manavalan. Have a good week. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. The world's need for more reliable, affordable energy is intertwined with the goal of building a lower carbon future. Meeting energy demand and alleviating energy poverty worldwide with reliable, affordable energy while reducing greenhouse gas emissions is a challenge that the natural gas and oil sector is meeting head on. The solution is right here.